Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and as usual, I'm here with my friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Yo, Irish. So, Father Len, we decided to talk about something we both have quite a bit of experience with, and our experiences, I'd say, are are very different. You being a Catholic priest and me being a guy who's been married for a fairly long time. But I, I think that's probably a good thing. We're going to talk about marriage, its history, its meaning, our perceptions of marriage over time, and I think most importantly, what the real purpose and meaning of marriage is to God. So, Father Lynn, let's get started. Love it. Okay, well, I tell you what, let me start by first trying to outline at least what I think and feel about marriage. So, if you look at the history, in ancient marriages, in very ancient times, marriages were pragmatic. Marriages were a contract between families. It was about, you know, keeping the family wealth or making political alliances. But for the working class and the poor, marriage was also pragmatically about getting a work partner with family cooperations. And of course, about childbearing. That's what ancient marriages were about. They're rarely really about love. Wow. And it had basically little to do with religion too, except for the Jews. Really marriage was not a religious thing. It was a contractual thing. In some ways we've kind of come back to that in this day and age. That's exactly what I think. Like the revolution was Christ where Christ said, you know, marriage is not about legalisms. Marriage is supposed to be about unity and love and a way to become a full human being. And yet, oddly enough, in the modern world, we've gone back to the ancient one where marriage is more about getting some pragmatic something from it. And these days, it's not about, you know, family wealth or getting a work partner. It's kind of, I get married so I can have everlasting happiness staring at your eyes forever to find that one person who's going to make me happy until my partner doesn't make me happy. And then I'm on to something else. I'm on to a new partner, of course. Yeah, time to upgrade. Uh, <laughs> but it's pragmatically about making me happy. And I'm just kind of surprised by that, that it goes back to just a very utilitarian, primitive idea of something about me. But the Christian revolution was really marriage was supposed to be unitive and about love. And so you have this the theology of marriage. Now scripture starts and ends, begins and ends with a wedding. So remember in the Genesis, there's two creation stories where the first creation story is when God creates all of humanity at once and great diversity and variety. And God says, let us make mankind in our image and the image of mankind is that of being united together and diverse and so the nature of marriage based on that really is kind of like the trinity that marriage is a community and a community best reflects the nature of god of people living together in love so it's a yeah catholics would say the greatest example of the trinity is actually a married couple uh, not the math of two verse three, but just that it's a community of love. 
That was the original image of what humanity was supposed to be. Then you got the second creation story. The second creation story is most known as Adam and Eve. And I know I've said this several times, but the creation story of Adam and Eve starts with Adam, the earthling. And the earthling, he's lonely and he prays for a savior. And God puts him to death and takes his side or his rib. As I mentioned before, it's the same image. But he's willing to sacrifice himself for love. And then when he wakes, he sees Eve and says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And the image there is that, I love this, is that the true human being, and God calls them human beings after this, if you can die to self-sacrificing love. And so the idea there with marriage is that marriage is supposed to be this act of dying to yourself to give birth to community. That marriage is this dying just to yourself so that really your heart is pierced so that you become a true human being. That you become a true human being when you can love to the point of death. But in both those stories, marriage is a way of becoming the image of God whether it's self-sacrificing love or a community of love, marriage is seen as one of the pathways to becoming an image of God. So right from the start, we'd say marriage is not about legal rights. It's a way of becoming a true human being, a refined image of God. And so if you look in the Old Testament, marriage is always a covenant. It's something sacred. And I love the line from Song of Songs. It's a book in the Bible where it's, has this young couple and they're passionate for each other. And it says, there is the flash of Yahweh. And then it just goes on. Actually, the name of God is only mentioned once in the song of songs, but the idea is that this from this young couple to this old couple bickering about who last closed the door, it's all the song of Yahweh that somehow how these two love from, from a young couple to an old couple, speaks about the very nature of who God is. Love that. So the whole idea of marriage really representing this this self-sacrificing love. Right. A love that speaks about the very nature of God. If you can look at it from beginning to end. So there's a great theology there for us, right? Yes. And it does involve a death. That's why like Catholics are asked to get married in front of an altar because an altar is where you sacrifice something. And marriage is this lifelong act of giving of oneself. And I always, I always mention this. One, I think a great line from Dante, where Dante says, true love doesn't make up for all your faults. True love exposes all your faults. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> will know your faults more than the person you're married to. Boy, is that so true. Oh, my gosh. You know, I wish I would have even thought about all this when I got married. I, I know. Mean, and, you know. I had no idea. I mean, but I, if, if you watch TV, the moment you fall in love, you know, the movies make it sound like all your faults are now just healed and broken up. Actually, our theology is that, no, marriage exposes your faults. <laughs> you can't work on them until they're exposed. Yep. Which I just think is really kind of, one of my friends left the seminary and in the seminary every year you have these psychological evaluations, these peer evaluations. They want to get to know, you know, 
who is Irish and what faults do you have? And my friend came back and he said, you know, you thought formation, that's what it's called. You thought formation was hard. Believe me, nothing is more of a psychological test than being married. (laughs) And I thought that was so funny. He says, no, marriage is where, and he's happily married. He's actually, his wife just died a couple of years ago. He had a very happy marriage, but even up to the end, he said, wow, it is the toughest thing I've ever done. You think a psychological test is tough? Try being married. So Catholics get married in front of an altar because you're willing to sacrifice your ego. That same way Adam is willing to die, yeah, you're going to die to your ego so that you can learn to think as two rather than one, then three. And I know this sounds kind of strange. One of my friends, Jolly, she once said about, well, she didn't mean to insult me. And she said, I don't mean to insult you, but the problem with unmarried people is that they don't know how to think about other people. She says, do you know how many times in my marriage and my family I've had to suck it up and, you know, get the kids off and sacrifice. And said, you know, and I hate to say it. I think being a bachelor creates you to be a little bit selfish. And I said, Jolly, you're absolutely right. Yep. You know, as a priest, yeah, I'm used to just thinking of myself. And when I do sacrifice, I feel like it's a huge sacrifice, (laughs) but it is nothing compared to marriage. And so like when somebody gets married in the ritual, it first starts with the priest asking him three questions. And the questions are basically, are you really sure you can do this? Because true love demands constant sacrifice. And everybody always says yes, you know, yes, yes, yes. But wow, it is a life of sacrifice. And then think about it. Then they exchange vows. And then this, the priest does this gesture with his hands and says a prayer that here where two people sacrifice all their life and love for each other, there is the presence of God. And my only point is all that we would say the point of marriage is that it's a way into holiness. And marriage is on par with priesthood, but completely different. We'd say it's a covenant. A covenant demands absolutely everything. And the opposite of a covenant is a contract. A contract is, you know, I'll give X and then you give me X. It's kind of this nice arrangement. A covenant is, it is a lifelong of giving every part of myself. A contract is that I get something out of this. So the other part that's kind of interesting is that we would say religion is a type of marriage. That's very, very much part of the Bible. Like the Jewish rite of marriage is based on actually God marrying his people. Um, The mass, the mass is us getting wedded to Christ. You have all these marriage symbols, I'll skip it. But um, and even the Bible ends with all those who have been wedded to love Christ ends up in this wedding feast of heaven, that heaven is basically this wedding feast. So I love that. But you see this contrast right from the beginning. For us, marriage is this theology of self-sacrifice. And this I'm going to say it this way. The worldly way of looking at marriage, whether it's an ancient, ancient mankind or modern mankind, the worldly way is that marriage is a contract. So if you look at the history of marriage, like look, start with Judaism. Judaism actually did practice polygamy 
And women were often treated as property and marriage were, was for procreation, which is similar to other cultures. But even in Judaism, Judaism believed you had to get married because it's a sin in Judaism just to live for yourself. It's just kind of like what my friend Jolly said. But in the Bible, you have these great examples of marriage, you know, starting off with Adam and Eve, the idea of self-sacrificing love or Abraham and Sarah didn't have a perfect marriage, but there's this one line I really like where if you're reading in English, it just doesn't make any sense where Abraham makes Sarah, his sister. And we'd think, oh, that's weird. But the point of it is legally in the code of Hammurabi, if a husband wanted to make his wife his equal, uh, he could declare her as his sister, which is kind of strange to us, but mm -hmm. it's this image of equality and marriage right from Abraham and Sarah or Adam and Eve. But most of the patriarchs, even when they really loved their wife, like Jacob loved his wife, but they all had these tortured love affairs. In my opinion, the only one who really had a great marriage was Isaac. I mean, all the rest of the patriarchs, they go on these great adventures, but they're all in one way kind of unfaithful or hurtful towards their wife. Isaac is the only one who doesn't go on any adventures. And it says he basically, he loves his wife. He loves his family life. He's faithful. Isaac won the boring life of no adventures. He just loves his family, just wants to be with his wife and his family. So you have this kind of odd feeling that marriage is in Judaism. It is something sacred, but women were treated better in Judaism than in other cultures. But even then, a lot of brokenness. And Moses permits divorce, really for any reason, because human beings are very broken. But contrast the, how the Jews work uh, to us Gentiles or the Romans. A lot of people don't know this, but marriage was simply a contract between families. It wasn't a covenant about lifelong love or unity. It was a contract about rights and wealth. Usually it wasn't really exclusive towards the men. It was just exclusive towards the women. But it was all about, you know, inheriting wealth or political connections or somebody to work with. In today's yeah. world, it would be like the prenuptial agreement. Right. It's, yeah, and it has nothing to do with the state, has nothing to do with religion. It is simply contractual. That's why yep. you could, you could exit out of the contract. And so Jesus, Jesus' teaching on marriage is so shocking because when they ask him this question about divorce, they're asking the question about what is the proper legal way to upgrade your wife? <laughs> <laughs> what is the legal way that you can get rid of her? And Jesus' real statement is, well, marriage was never supposed to be about legalities. Marriage was supposed to be about love. You know, right from Christianity, it, it, that is shocking. And the reason why we have in the early church so many thousands of virgin martyrs is because women believe that they had the right to marry who they wanted to marry, to have control over their lives. They're not property to be, to be ordered about. 
That was shocking. And even like St. Paul, we don't hear it because it's horribly translated, but St. Paul likewise is shocking about marriage where, you know, you hear this all the time, wives be submissive to your husbands. One of the more controversial things from the Bible. Yeah, but unfortunately it's mistranslated because the word submissive is a military term for sacrifice. When you entered into the military, you'd make this vow of submissiveness that it doesn't matter how much the war costs you. You'll sacrifice your eye or arm or anything. And what St. Paul says, taking his whole theology, is wives be submissive to your husbands. For the sake of love, sacrifice anything. And people usually don't quote this part, but Paul also says husbands be submissive to your wives. Sacrifice your ego and your machismoism for the sake of love. It is worth the sacrifice. He's not talking about one sex being submissive to the other. He's talking about both sexes sacrificing everything for the sake of love. That went against the culture of his time period. You know, so he's continuing the radical teaching of Christ of now marriage is about this way of self-sacrificing love. Now, here's a really odd part. Marriage for us was always a sacrament. A sacrament is a covenant that's going to cost you everything. But a lot of people are shocked. I was shocked when I found out that, well, it was always a sacrament, but we didn't have a ritual for it for several hundred years. Isn't that shocking? We had no ritual for marriage. There was Jewish Catholics did, but not us Gentile Catholics. So how did the marriage come about then? How was... uh, Oh, it's really easy. And this is the same theology that is today that all you need for two people to be validly married is for them to exchange vows. So you didn't need witnesses. You didn't need to do it in front of a priest or an altar. It could be you and your wife doing it in a field. Now, that actually is still the theology today for Catholics, that what makes for a marriage is two people who made their vows. And God knows that. God knows who's married and who's not married, who's made vows and who hasn't. So there's no ritual, there is no, you know, big ta-da, because that didn't exist before. Jews had a ritual, but not us Gentiles. Now, we did always consider it a way to God. So there's great theology there. You know, we believe only God can save you, but your spouse gets you in the best shape. That's our theology. Marriage gets you ready for heaven. It makes me think that the old way without the ritual might be something we wanted to go back to, and because uh, the whole marriage, the whole marriage ritual has become such a big deal that I think the vows are almost lost. And well, I don't think the the rituals become a big deal. I think the stuff around the ritual becomes what most people are focused on. I guess that's what um, I'm talking about, and the. And the whole idea of do we really understand the vows? I mean, what the commitment that we're making? I, I don't think I did when I got married. I mean, I said the words and stuff, but I don't think I had any idea what that meant and how difficult that might be. Fortunately, my wife did, and that probably kept our marriage together because I had well, you many, know, many I faults. Would say the same- I would say, yeah, I, you know, that's funny because we have a whole group of people who have this program and we're listing all your faults, Irish, just in case your <laughs> wife forgot any of them. Um, she, she no, we have it in a spreadsheet. 
We want to make sure we can truly list out all your faults. Please don't um, send that to her because I think, uh, you know, as we've oh, been it's on working. it's form. We're, oh, great. We're putting it on a bulletin board. Oh, I, that's um, just what I need, Father Lynn. Well, Thank I'm, you. We're just trying to help you. Yeah, I like When I made my, my ordination vows, I did know it meant that I was going to sacrifice. Priests lie down as if they're dead before they get ordained, meaning your whole life is over. I really had no idea how much that really meant to sacrifice. <laughs> That's my about, point. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but here's the difference. You knew it was a sacrament. You knew it was a covenant. You just didn't know, wow, it's a really big price tag. <laughs> yes. You didn't really know that. But in the modern world, there is no price tag. That once you get married, you're supposed to forever be happy. But here's the odd part. So just explain this. It wasn't really till the 12th century that the ritual was formally defined. There was a ritual before that, but it wasn't formalized. Not till the 12th century. That is shocking. It is. And the reason why is that, you know, uh, this sounds kind of strange, but there's a rituals developed before that. It was just formalized at that time period. But you had this problem of people having their legal marriage and then they'd have their sacramental marriage. So you would make vows with your wife because you loved her. But, you know, your family's very powerful and she comes from a peasant family. So they're going to force you to marry somebody else just for political and financial reasons. And that's when the church said, no, no, no. People have a right to know who's married to who. You can't have a sacramental marriage and a with one person, a civil marriage with somebody else. Although it wasn't civil, it was contractual. So that's when the church said, no, you need witnesses in front of an altar you know, that, you know, this is going to cost you everything. That's how that got kind of cleared yeah. up. And it wasn't until the 16th century that that church accepted couples private exchange of vows. And like, I just find that kind of amazing. Uh, and to eliminate these private weddings, that's when the Council of Trent produced a standard wedding rite rules for Catholics. But think about it. the problem is people think it's the ritual that makes the wedding. It's not. It's always been the vows of the couple. That's why, like, we would say, yeah, Protestant weddings are valid. Couples made vows. I'm thinking about this, and you you said the words, "This is going to cost you." I almost think that should be part of the ritual. I mean, or part of the lead up to it, so that I mean, because. The, the passion and, I mean, all the stuff that has nothing to do with sacrifice is driving you at that point. And, you know, I, I just think it might be good, although a lot of people might say I'm not up for this, that th this is going to, if you want to make this work, it's going to cost you. And here's what you know, it's going to cost you. I, I told you a story before about this Marine I married. Well, I, sorry, take that back. I didn't marry him. I did the Marine's wife's funeral. And like uh, he tells this great story where he said, you know, when he got married to her uh, years and decades ago, he just got out of the Vietnam War and he married this woman he was in love with. And he said, you know, the night before I married her, I had this panic that what will happen later on in life? Like right now, I'm so in love with her because as he said, she was hot. <laughs> Which I just think it's kind of funny. And he said, I did love her, but I panicked because what's going to happen over the decades? 
And he said, uh, the day I got married, I prayed that I would fall deeply in love with her. And he said, I would pray that prayer all the time. And he said, God answered that prayer. And he was so emphatic. God answered that prayer. I loved her. And I just thought it was amazing that he would say that the day that uh, of her funeral, that, wow, God God did allow him to sacrifice everything for her, and they had a great love affair. But he was a Marine. He knew what it meant to sacrifice. He didn't know what the sacrifice, all it would cost. But yep. at least he knew, yeah, I I love her. I'm passionate about her. I mean, she was hot. But God answered that prayer. I think that's all people really need to know is, wow, I want to fall deeply in love, and that's going to demand sacrifice. That's all people have to know. I like that. Um, well, marriage kind of changed, though, because then this is kind of do the Protestants. The Protestants actually had a different view than Catholics. Luther and Calvin, they said marriage was not a sacrament, which just stuns me. So like Martin Luther saying marriage is not a sacrament, the only reason why you get married is to avoid hell. That it's this, you know, sociological necessity so that your passions don't drive you crazy and you start sleeping around so you get married. But Luther <laughs> and Calvin said there's nothing, you know, sacramental, uh, sacred about it. Now, no offense, but for Mrs. Luther, you know, that had to be a real passionate marriage where, you know, nothing sacred here. I'm just doing it. <laughs> I just think it's kind of a poor thing. But at the beginning... Protestant theology was viewing marriage less as a way of holiness and more as a remedy against sin, which is completely different. It becomes pragmatic again. I don't, I don't see how that's a remedy. That's really wild. I didn't know that. So you get married to avoid going to hell and supposedly that's going to keep you from sleeping around. I, you know, uh, in in today's world, I, I don't think that works. I mean, uh, that, that, no, I I don't think it ever worked. I know. It's it's just, it's crazy to think about. Yeah. That marriage is not a sacrament is just to me kind of strange, but once again, it became pragmatic. That's why, like, I always get this question in Protestant weddings, you would have this, who gives the bride away as if she's property to be given away. So you've had this back step from two people making this unitive self-sacrifice to property being given away. And so people will say at weddings when they, well, aren't you going to ask who gives this bride away? And my answer is no, she's not a piece of property. She has to you know, enter into this freely, willing to sacrifice everything. You're not giving something. You know, you're not giving her as a property. Wow. So can, I, see, now, that, that, I've witnessed that for years, you know, at various marriages, and I never thought of it that way. I never yeah, really... That's, that's not part of the Catholic rite. The Catholic no. rite is two people who made vows, not one person who's getting a piece of property. So it is a little bit different there. But think about this. That... That kind of makes a change in the theology of marriage. And then, like, then civil marriages start. So for the most of human history, marriages were either sacramental or a private contract. And uh, Luther and Calvin brought it back to private contracts, really. So civil marriages only start on July 1837, which is really modern time. 1837, civil marriages 
became an alternative, legal alternative to church weddings. And it started in England. And then U.S. colonies had marriage license, although you had to go to church for it, but there are marriage licenses. So the modern stress on the procreative, that marriage is just about procreation versus a way of holiness. Now, yeah, Catholics would say marriage is also about having procreating children, but that's not the main purpose. The main purpose is is this way of holiness. That's why, you know, if it's just about having children, well, then why do elderly couples get married? You know, they're not going to have children. So in the 1900s, this sounds kind of strange, there was just civil marriages starting, not covenantal marriages. Well, that, that even affects Catholics, because I was talking to this one woman who, you know, she was much, much older, uh, just amazed by her. And once she told me, I was newly ordained priest, and she says, well, you know, Greg and I, Greg was her husband, Greg and I didn't get married for love. And I was shocked by that. And I said, what do you mean you didn't get married for love? And she says, no, you know, in my time period, at a certain age, women got married to an eligible bachelor, but it was never about love. Greg and I are very honest about that. We love each other now, but not the day that we got married. Hmm. And I was kind of shocked by that. And turns out, yeah, historically, you, you're looking for somebody eligible, not somebody to make this unit of commitment of self-sacrifice. Now, that changed in the 60s when in the 60s, it was all about love. You know, as long as you love each other, that's all that matters. <laughs> well, but, but then you have to define love. Right. I don't know in the 60s <laughs> that the definition of love would be what God might define it as. You know, exactly. Love is no longer self-sacrificing. Love is about, well, what makes me happy? Yeah. And that's what we're now, that people get married because I want to be happy. Not the Catholic theology of marriage is this way of holiness, of dying to your ego, We'd have a completely different definition of love as agape, self-sacrifice, versus, well, I get married to you because you're supposed to make me happy. And all these TV shows like The Bachelor make it sound like, ah, if you just could find that one person, you'll be happy forever and sunsets. And we'd say, oh, no, it's the other way. (laughs) They they always talk about soulmates. I'm looking for my soulmate. I'm not sure sure what that means even. Yeah, I, I think there are soulmates. I really do. But the problem is there's a lot of death before two souls can become one. Okay, well, I guess that's <laughs> what I'm saying. There's a, there's a lot of sacrifices. But you see how the meaning of marriage as a commitment has changed into two different things. When it's same word marriage, but when I hear the word marriage, I mean self-sacrificing love. Two people are willing to sacrifice everything. And, you know... Other people, their definition of marriage is this legal right that you're supposed to make me happy. And so it's kind of strange that my point being is that in ancient society, marriages were never about love. They're about something pragmatic. And in a way, they've returned back to that, that marriage is about me getting some legal rights, me getting something. So I... I, don't mean to be negative, but that is kind of the modern idea in many ways. Even like this has happened more than once, but when I was a fairly new early ordained priest, I was in Idaho Falls and this couple come to me to get married. And I'm talking about everything and they say, well, just to be upfront, we're not really serious about 
the marriage. We want the wedding because in the military, you get more benefits and you get to be, if you're married, more likely the base that you want to. So, so anyhow, one point the bride says, so we don't want you to take this marriage too serious. <laughs> oh my gosh. At which point I said, believe me, I'm not taking serious. It's serious at all. <laughs> but like for them, there was this pragmatic benefit. It wasn't about love or self-sacrifice. It's about me getting something. Or like this woman, when I was married at St. Mark's, she got married, this girl, and she came back to me because they're having marital problems after they got married. But to be honest, even during the marriage prep program, she was very selfish. He just agreed to everything she wanted. And so she comes back and she's upset because she's not happy that because he's telling her no and she's crying. And because I'm insensitive and cruel, I said, (laughs) good for you because up until now you've just been married to yourself. When he was saying yes to everything, that was not him really showing up for the marriage. When you demanding, he say yes to everything. That's not a marriage. How did that go over father Lynn? She was shocked and I was trying to shock her so that she would stop thinking that she's the victim. Yeah. You chose the way of self-sacrificing love. That's not him saying yes to everything, but it's just stunning to me how many people think marriage is about having a wedding that so that you can have this huge party. I've literally had several times couples come to me who are living together who then want to get married. And when I say, why do you want to get married? Basically the answer is we want a huge party and we (laughs) want our parents to pay for it. I I know. And at that point, they're always shocked when I say, you know, I don't want to really participate in a lie unless you tell your parents, the only reason why we're doing this is for a huge party. I'm not going to marry you. And they usually always cancel out of the wedding. I'm sure they do. You're asking me to participate on pulling one over on your parents. Uh, and like, I, I just, I, the first time I did that, I was at St. Mark's and the mother calls me from the parish chewing me out. And she said, well, my daughter said you wouldn't let her father walk her down the aisle. So she refuses to get married at St. Mark's. I never said that. And so then, you know, if she's going to call and chew me out, I'm going to be honest with you. And I said, your daughter said she only is having this wedding so that you guys can foot the bill. That she just wants a big party. She's not really serious about the rest of it. And she yeah. literally told me that. And the mother was like, well, what do 20-year-olds know? Well, I'm, <laughs> you know, okay, good for you. <laughs> but, you know, they did this study, and I thought it was interesting, that the higher the cost of the reception, the more likely a couple is going to get divorced. Now, I don't, I'm not saying it's a, a direct parallel, but I would say that is true. If it's just, if the marriage is about this big fancy reception, not about the commitment, higher rate of divorce. Well, you so, know, um, it, it, in my experience, I mean, it's anecdotal. I think that I've seen that happen. There's also a corollary to that, I think. The size of the ring, you know, some of these rings are like, you know, 20, you know, 10 carats or some big thing. You can barely hold your hand up. And almost always those marriages go up in flames, too. Well, you know, that's funny because I I, there's this older couple in Eagle who I just I love them. 
but they showed me their wedding picture and the one possession they had when they got married was a chair. And so they got a picture of him sitting on the chair and her sitting on his lap. And just, that was our worldly possessions. It was one chair and they've done fairly well in life. And so on the anniversary of their uh, wedding, he gave her this huge ring, but I love the fact that you don't start off with all that stuff. You end with it. I love the picture of them having one chair and being incredibly happy. Um, well, so- I, I love the idea too of, of giving the ring after you found out what it's all about and you've lived through it. And you know, this whole idea of, I, I, yeah, I, I celebrated their uh, anniversary, which was beautiful. It was a beautiful anniversary and he gives her this ring, but even both of them said, we truly do love each other. We'd sacrifice everything for each other. No, I I feel bad because I've had some great weddings. I had two great weddings this year. One where the couple, they washed the feet of their nieces and nephews. Hmm. And the idea of washing the feet at their wedding was, no, our wedding is going to make a difference in the world. They were taking those vows that, no, our love is going to change the world. That's why they wash feet. Or this other couple, he was, I think he's a Marine and she's the daughter of a cop, but God, they had a great wedding, like just the feel of it. And there was something to me just divine about their wedding where uh, both of them had this feeling of, of this was love and they're willing to sacrifice. It just spoke about God somehow. That couple, I think they know what wedding is about. I had a great wedding where they did have an expensive reception, but it was this great wedding outdoors in McCall. And even other people, I was in the hospital and somebody said, oh, I was at that wedding. That was the best wedding I've ever been to. And it was a great wedding. And even afterwards, I was trying to figure out what made that wedding so great. Because yeah, it was outdoors, a beautiful day, but I, you know, I've had that before and they've turned out horrible. I think what it was, was if I had to be honest, I think the couple were very serious about a commitment. And I think, and this sounds strange, the parents and all the guests, they had this theology that marriage is self-sacrificing love. And it turned out to be a great celebration, not because of, you know, the table set up or anything. It was something in the heart that just blessed the whole thing. That's the difference between a covenant and a contract. And the thing about it is you have to ask yourself, does marriage work? Does marriage work? Because let's face it, the divorce rate is incredibly high. But what they found out is, yeah, marriage works depending upon the commitment. Because they did this study of a couple thousand married couples, and 81% said that they would remarry the same person. 76% said that they're still in love. So does marriage make you happy? I hate to tell you this. No, (laughs) it actually demands a lot of sacrifice. So does marriage make you happy? Depends on who you marry. If it's somebody who can learn to sacrifice parts of their ego, you'll end up at happy. And Sirach in the Bible, Sirach is this really ancient book. And Sirach is his grandfather. And he gives us great advice where he said the most important decision you'll make in your life is who you're going to marry. 
And he gives this example that you marry the right person and life just blooms, blooms like olive branches around your table. Life just blooms. You marry the wrong person and life will be painful. And so the idea is that there's no perfect mate, but there is somebody who understands, uh, I don't know what it will be, but I'll sacrifice like the Marine. I just think it comes down to those who can make a commitment versus those who just think of themselves. And so they also did this study. And I think this is, does living together help you have a more successful marriage? And this is a really strange finding is that if you live together before marriage, you're more likely to get divorced. You have a double the rate of divorce than the national average. You know, if divorce is one of the most painful things you'll go through in life, you really want to be smart about this. And living together, you think that would prepare you, but it's not. It's just extended dating. And this is embarrassing, I'll admit it, but, and I think it was Oprah, but I did hear this study that people who live together have a high rate of divorce. And the reason why is that living together means that you really don't have to be committed. You're just test driving. Yep. But commitments can't be waded into. They have to be jumped into. Either you're ready for it or you're not. And I love this where I was watching this TV show where they're interviewing couples who lived together before marriage, then got married and divorced. Then they've chosen when they get married the next time, they're going to get married again, but they chose not to live together. And such an odd finding. I watched it. Yeah, I and think that guy, was on Oprah, Father Lynn. So it was years ago, but I, this one guy, I just remember one guy saying, listen, the first time I did this, I always kind of thought the day I got married, well, if it doesn't work out, I can back out. And, you know, both of us had that idea. That's what living together proves. If it gets tough, you can always back out. And then you make a commitment, but you already have that programmed in your head, I can back out. So he said, no he's going to get married to somebody else. And he says, so I told her we're not living together. The day we get married, we're fully committed. I want no possible way of saying there's an excuse that I can back out. We'll do what we have to, to make this marriage work. That made sense to me. Why living together doesn't work. Totally. Um, it may work, but it's a kind of a dangerous proposition. So, yeah. Back to my original thing, difference between a covenant marriage and a contractual marriage. A covenant marriage demands sacrifice and commitment. A, a contract marriage, a civil marriage, is just about legalisms and you getting something. You know, um, Father Len, you've talked often on the podcast about becoming a true human being. And talking about marriage, this is really like the school for learning how to become a true human being. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's all That's about self-sacrifice. It is this school that teaches you how to become a true human being. And I, I, that just comes across clearer and clearer as you talked about the history and whatever. And it reminds me quickly, and, and then we can wrap up. The best marriage I've ever been to because it totally represents this idea uh, and understanding what self-sacrifice means. It's our youngest son who his wife married him knowing that 
his kidneys were failing and the the his health future was very uncertain but she was willing to make that leap with him and it it it, it was just amazing because so often i've seen when there's some kind of a problem or a challenge or whatever before a marriage that you know the couple splits and all that kind of stuff she said no i'm jumping in with both feet and i'm going to be here for you and i'm i'm going to sacrifice everything for you basically even though this future with you is very uncertain how long you'll live whether you'll be on dialysis what this whole kidney problem is going to be about and it was just an amazing kind of it was one of the most emotional things i've ever been through watching them talk about their vows because the vows really meant something I mean, she knew right then something that she was sacrificing and what she was giving up or what could happen. And I just thought it was awesome. I think it's awesome, too, for every couple. I mean, A, that's beautiful. B, isn't every couple in that position? You don't know what's going to happen. All you know is that you're committed. You don't. But the the thing is, when you've actually had to face something as serious as that and you still no, go through committed. with it, you know, yeah, I mean, that's that's something. That really is something. So, Father Lynn, I I think this was uh, uh, really a good thing to get people to kind of think about this whole idea of marriage and the fact that it really is this school for becoming a true human being. That I mean, I hope everybody goes to this school and succeeds. I really do. Uh, I'm not going to go. <laughs> well, of course, you're a priest, yeah. Father Lynn. You've already made other sacrifices, so... Anyway, we, we welcome your comments and questions, and it's easy to get those to us. You just head over to our website. It's www.gshow.com. That's www.gshow.com, and you can click on the questions button. And if you're enjoying the Wrestling with God show, and we hope you are, please share your favorite episodes with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help people discover us. So we hope you join us next time as we continue our journey, climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth, meaning, and purpose in our lives, and hopefully figuring out how to become true human beings. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mm-hmm.